0: Well, let's do take our Bibles and turn them open to Psalm 2. Psalm 2, I want to begin reading at verse 1, and we'll read through there. You can follow along with me in your uh, translation, and then we're going to begin separating its parts and then really looking at each part by itself. Here's what the Psalm states why are the nations in an uproar and the peoples devising a vain thing? The kings of the earth take their stand, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us tear their fetters apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs, and the Lord scoffs at them, and he will speak to them in his anger and terrify them in his fury, saying, But as for me, I have installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain, and I will surely tell of the decree of the Lord. And he said to me, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will surely give the nations as your inheritance and the very ends of the earth as your possession. And you shall break them with a rod of iron and you shall shatter them like earthen ware. Now therefore, O king, show discernment. Take warning, O judges of the earth. Worship the Lord with reverence and rejoice with trembling. Do homage to the Son that he not become angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath may soon be kindled. How blessed are all who take refuge in him. Well, brothers and sisters, Psalm 2 is a royal, a royal psalm of David. A royal psalm meaning that it addresses particularly the, the royalty, the kingship of Jesus Christ. And of course, there can be a, um, an application, if you will, to David, but primarily, first and foremost, this psalm is about Jesus Christ in his rule and reign over the cosmos, Over all of God's created order. Now, before we go into the breakdown of the Psalm itself, let me make a connection. First, I want you to understand, or first I want you to see that there is a connection, I think, between Psalm 1 and Psalm 2. Psalm 1 addresses the individual, right? Um, How the individual is blessed, how, who the individual stays away from. What are some of the characteristics of this blessed, godly individual who is prospering all along the way? Well, Psalm 2 is similar, but it's national. It, it broadens that same concept and idea onto unto the national scene. That is, it is similar to, That which makes the individual blessed and prosperous and useful is the same thing that causes a nation to be blessed and prosperous and useful. One serves God as a person. The other serves God in a more national role and and perspective with all of the families that involve that nation. Now that begs the question. Given some political views that will say, well, that's not religion. Religion is more geared toward the individual and we should shy away and we should shy away from and stay away from anything that's national. Well, can we do that and not address this psalm in the Bible? Because this psalm is obviously addressing a a, a universal scope of the reign of Christ. It begins asking a very profound question, a perplexing question right there in verse one. That's the way the psalm begins. Why are the nations in an uproar and the peoples devising a vain thing? That's baffling to the writer of the psalm. In Psalm 1, God's the prosperer. He's the blesser. He's the one who who blesses and gives and enriches. Why are the people plotting against him? Why are the kings of the earth railing against the one that blesses so richly and powerfully? That's a good question, isn't it? The Psalm can be divided into four parts. Verses one through three addresses that uh, conspiracy, if you will, against the Lord and his anointed. Verses four through six addresses God's firm sovereignty. Verses seven through eight declare, where God declares his son as his ruler and king. In verses 10 through 12 is a call for discernment from the kings of the earth. Now, the psalm clearly addresses kings, heads of state, leaders. That's how the psalm ends in verse 12. Do homage to the son, right? Verse 10 Take warning, O judges of the earth. The beginning of verse 10. O kings, show discernment. It even says right there in verse 11, what should these kings and judges be doing? Worshiping the Lord, right? And not just attending church, but worshiping from a heart of reverence and thankfulness because they're rejoicing. They are to do homage to the son, lest he become angry and they perish in the way. They're called upon to take refuge in Christ. I'm a firm believer that Christianity is a whole world view religion. It encompasses the individual, it encompasses the family, and it encompasses the state that christianity as as given to us in the bible to understand to believe to hold to the grasp is a christianity that is a world view in perspective and it encompasses those primary areas of life and with those primary areas of life it about it covers everything and we ought to have some um We ought ought to have a good time in the psalm over the next several weeks. So let's look at those first three verses. We're not going to get any further than those first three verses because I want to spend time talking about what it looks like for a nation to rail against God and against his anointed. What that looks like. What are we talking about here? How should we understand Um these verses. Well, again, the psalm starts off asking a very perplexing question. Why would anybody want to rage against the Lord? The one who is so good, so kind, and so merciful. Why would any nation rail against the one that can truly transform the nation? Make it vibrant, prosperous, and successful. And and think about it. That is worthy of thought. That's worthy of consideration, isn't it? Why would any nation? And, and of course, when it talks about these nations here, that is why are the nations in an uproar and the peoples devising a vain thing? That verse one there, that word for a nation is the word Gentiles. Goim in Hebrew. It's it's why, why are these why are these Gentile nations raging against the Lord when he has, when he has seen how God has blessed Israel? has blessed the Hebrew people. How he's cared for them. How he's brought them through so many challenging difficulties. How he's been patient with them. And the Lord has been very patient with the Hebrews. We see it in the wilderness. Uh, We see it in the book of Judges. I mean, we find that God is large in his long suffering with the Hebrew people. And so why, would, why wouldn't the nations want that God who is so rich in patience and mercy as their God? Because typically speaking, the gods of the nations or the false gods of this world are very cruel, unforgiving, unforgiving. often just full of rancor, chaos, and death. I mean, look at, look at our own nation and the idolatry and the abortion and the transgenderism and the homosexuality. I mean, those are, those are killing aspects of any culture. They rot the culture at its very core. I mean, it, number one, look how you rob a nation even of its posterity. The future is in people. A nation's made up of people. A family's glory, in the sense, is is of its children, of its name, of its its ongoing heritage, if you will. The glory of the family is the, the spiritual, fervent worship of the true and living God as it's maintained in a home a home known for being God-fearing, worshiping, reverencing. And you extend that on out to the nation. It's been long said, as we've seen past presidents attend church and maintain their membership in said churches when they were all worthy of excommunication, they were all worthy of violating their church vows and worthy of being excommunicated and not seen as a, a, having a credible profession of faith. But see, that's what happens when, they, when these leaders see themselves above Christ and don't take the worship of God Almighty seriously. So it starts off with this sort of puzzling but rhetorical question. Obviously, we know the answer to it. The psalmist knows the answer to it, and he gives it to us. But that's how he starts it off, because he wants us to begin pondering and considering these things. Now, what does it talk about when it, when it, when it draws our attention to the, the futility or this, this rebellion towards God? What are some of the things we can think about? Well, First of all, we need to think about what it is to plot against God. That is, why are the nations in an uproar and the people devising or plotting a vain thing? Well, it, the whole the whole Hebrew concept is that of plotting. It's tumultuous, it's chaotic, it's noisy. Um there's nothing easy about it. It this it's it's, um, it's not smooth at all. It's sort of, they fall over themselves to rail against that which is so natural. It literally is the same thing. It's, it's as rational as a man having some butchering surgery thinking he becomes a woman. That's the same concept. Nothing good about it. And it's very dangerous and he still has to contend with all of the infections and everything else. And it's just, that's not the way it ought to be. And that's what the idea here in this in this plotting is. is you stumble, you fall all over yourself. You, you spill the hot grease on yourself. But all the while you're railing and you're showing this fervent hatred against God. You're railing against that which is natural. And accepting you ought to what you ought to be embracing and accepting, you're railing against, and that's an unnatural thing. Listen, atheism is unnatural, and you have to adopt that principle to make sense and to have a vibrant Christian worldview. Atheism is abnormal, belief in God is natural and normal. One, because God has shown himself to them. And number two, because of the created order we live in. I mean, we can talk about science all day long, but we've been an anti-scientific nation and world for a long time when we adopted evolution as our primary philosophy of life. And you see the fruit of all of this. I mean, you know, listen, let's... um, Let's continue down the rabbit hole a little bit. I mean, the idea that somebody believes that because they identify or because they take some some hormones that's alien to their body or because they have some surgery that they actually become another gender is absolutely infantile and silly. They have not changed one... Molecule in your body, and your gender is written on every cell in your body. And yet, we're supposed to act as if that delusion is real. That's the point. I mean, honestly, it's the perfect illustration to the question and what's taking place. What ought to be natural for the nations to embrace. The living and true God, who is the one who is the blesser and true prosperer of people and nations, know they're railing against them. It's like cutting off their own members. It's like refusing to identify with what, how they were born. It's that's how this is how ridiculous it is. That's the psalmness. That's what He's getting at. this idea to plot certainly carries with it this idea of violence. Proverbs 24, two, for their hearts plot violence and their lips talk about making trouble. Psalm 83, three, with cunning, they conspire against your people. They plot against those you cherish. That's a very negative term. to plot, to conspire. It's negative. No, it's not for the good. It's for selfish, nefarious purposes and reasons. It's not for anything good. Why? Because God is the blesser. He's the one that prospers nations. Why are the nations railing against him? And we'll talk about that in a minute. Nahum. Chapter 1, verse 9, whatever they plot against the Lord, he will bring to an end. Again, this idea of conspiring against the Lord. Making trouble. That's another concept that's involved here. Conspiring against the Lord, spiring against God's people, scheming against God's people. Making it difficult to serve the living God, make or creating the uh, embarrassment, if you will, if you are a God believer. This part of this, it, it again, it's the railing and plotting, it, it, it's the scheming against what should be natural to the nations, natural to us, it, is, it makes it an embarrassment. It makes it contradictory. That's gonna be a word we end the lesson with. It, 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 it's, it carries the idea that what, what is natural, like me saying I'm a man, is as silly as saying I'm a goose because that's what I wanna be. That's exactly what's going on here. There is only one sovereign in the universe. That's what it means to be God. To be completely, totally sovereign means you have no one over you. There's no one else like you. There's no one else that can stay your hand. There's nothing equal with you. There's nothing above you. That's what it means to be sovereign. Sovereign. And that's why it's so foolish for the people to rail against this God because he uses his glorious power to what? Bless and prosper. You know, when you think about it, I know we all talk about what Jesus is the answer and Jesus is the answer. And that is true. And of course, we have to talk about the question, right? But at the end of the day, we are talking about that God has the power to heal this land, that's why he tells us in Chronicles, if we would humble ourselves and pray, and what are, we, what are we going to pray for? We're going to pray that we would find humility and repentance and uh, correct our evil ways and that God would come and what? Heal our lands and people. When you talk about healing the land, when you talk about healing the people, what, from healing them from what? From their own delusions. Now, brothers and sisters, a delusion is just as powerful as a cancer in the cell of the body. It's an infection. That's why complaining is so is so bad on a family and a church, a, a business, an office, or whatever the case may be. It's an infection. And we see that infection even in our own land, but across the world, don't we? trying to take root, trying to get a foothold to make, the, to make the delusion normal. That's Psalm 2 here. They want to make it normal. It's considered normal to rail against God when it's a very unnatural thing to do, a very dangerous thing to do, a very silly thing to do. So what does it mean to plot against God? Well, how do you plot against someone you can't see? How do you plot against someone you can't touch? How do you plot against someone that doesn't have a place of residence, has no workplace? I mean, where do you meet them? Where do you overtake them where do you ambush them? How do you plot against God? Well, I believe what the psalmist is referring to and what we've already been discussing is simply God's natural order. God's natural order. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, beloved, because God is. And because God does truly exist and God made this world, he made this world and gave this world certain laws and rules and principles that govern over it. And those rules are sovereign if you will. Those rules flow out of God two things, God's character and God's will. This natural order flows from who God is and what God wants. When God made you a man, he wanted you to be a man. He wanted you to do man stuff. He wanted you to act like a man. He made you a woman, he wanted you to do woman stuff. He wanted you to act like a woman. He wanted you to desire womanly things. As part of the natural order of things. Has sin frustrated some of that? Of course. But it hasn't changed the order. Just because it's frustrated, or somebody may have the, the confusion. Well, maybe I like my, the same uh, gender. Well, you can repent of that, and you can deal with that, and you can mortify that desire. Just like a man who is heterosexual, who desires women that are not his wife, he can repent of those things and discipline himself. Sin is sin. So when we're talking about plotting against God, we're talking about plotting against God's natural created order and those those laws that flow out of his character, who he is, His goodness, His grace, His mercy, all of those things, His justice, His righteousness. We talked about over the last few Sunday mornings those moral maxims. Where do they come from? They flow out of who God is. They flow out of His will, His character. The same thing here. We call God's moral law natural law. That moral law that is natural is Governs everybody, everywhere, and every place in all ages. No one is exempt from God's natural law, His moral law, and that's why we apologize. That's why we can't have toxic masculinity, toxic femininity, or whatever the case may be. It's about it's about all of us being con. con Trolled by the scriptures, being conformed to the word of God, and being the man and the woman, the family, the church, anything, the nation that God has called us to be in righteousness, holiness, and truth. Interesting enough, if evolution is so real, why do all the nations across the world understand the importance of justice? Where did that come from? Where does the whole concept of justice come from? God? He's the one that told us in the beginning, he's just. Righteousness? I mean, you know, that's why I I, I don't sweat debating an atheist. Because inevitably, it's going to gravitate to some type of goodness. Goodness. And morality, and of course, I'm going to go, well, where does that come from? And of course, they're going to respond, it's basically a societal construct. We've determined as a people that have evolved what's good and what's not. And of course, you know how to come back at that. Well, what? Happens And when is it okay for us to eat one another? Because that could be next month, you see. Well, that's silly, they'll say. Well, we already think it's okay to kill babies at nine months. At birth. I mean, what's next? You, you, you see, you can't, they have no footing. They're on slippery ground. And, and all you need to do is keep pushing them with your little finger. Just push them right off of it because they can't stand up. They have no ground to stand on. And don't, you, you don't sweat their big words and, and how they want to construe everything. With It doesn't matter. We can all boil it down to a moral conversation. When we talk about goodness, righteousness, justice, when we even have a conversation about excellence, what's the standard? You see? That God as creator has woven into this world a moral, a morality that all the nations have to yield to or suffer greatly. Every nation, but look every nation right now that's imploding what do they all have in common? They're railing against God. They're railing against God. And they are imploding. They are, they are the, you know, why is marriage, what is, I see, marriages have fallen. Oh, what was the statistic? Um, they're saying nobody's getting married anymore. Well, okay, I get it. I mean, in a world where there's no truth, there's no God, where everything's tossed up in the air, where you don't even know if the person you're dating is a woman or a man or whatever the case may be. what I mean, what's going on here? Of course, I just don't want, I want to be left alone. I want to be by myself. as safe. But see, that's not part of God's moral. God's moral order is that that men and women would seek one another out and they would seek one another out to have a family together, to bear children, and to carry out the dominion mandate given at the very beginning of the world. We talk about love, justice, courage. Courage. We talk about conscience. Where does that come from? You see, brothers and sisters, the point that the, Psalm, that the psalmist is making in Psalm 2 is just how um, inconsistent the nations are to want to prosper. I mean, all the kings say, oh, we want to prosper ourselves. We want to be the, the leaders in this technology or that technology. And while they rage against God, they can be none of that. None of that. So let's talk about some application in the latter part of our lesson. There are really three words that I want to give to you to help you understand uh, the nations that choose to plot and rail against the Lord and His anointed. The first one is contradictory. It's just a contradiction. It's a contradiction. In what way? Well, rebelling rebelling against God contradicts the very design of this world. This world was made to glorify Him. You were made to glorify Him. Maybe you were made to glorify Him as a single person. Maybe you were made to glorify Him as a a wife or a, a husband or a father or what. Maybe you were made to glorify And whatever case, you were made, no matter what your Plan is your path. You were made to glorify God and when we rail against God, when we don't seek his will and his glory, it is a contradiction in terms. Look at Isaiah 43. Isaiah 43, 7. Everyone who is called by my name And whom I have created for my glory, whom I have formed, even whom I have made. Why did he make them and form them? For his glory. For his glory. Rebellion, brothers and sisters, is a contradiction of your creation, of anyone's creation, Secondly, about this uh, contradiction is that sin rejects, listen to this one, sin rejects God's wise boundaries that were given to us to protect us. You think about it, let's, let's, let's back down to a smaller unit of a family. Because what is a nation? A nation is nothing more than a large family. That's all a nation is. Those same rules that apply to a family are to be expanded and applied to a nation. But let's take a family for instance. Why does a parent put up boundaries for their small children? Maybe it's first a playpen because we know small children don't understand the concepts of stop and without hurting themselves and falling down and whatnot. Then it's more corporal discipline, if you will, as they get older and understand these things. And then it's even different kinds of punishment to suit the need and to suit the moment. Well, why is that there? Well, because God has instilled in this created order these boundaries in order to protect us. You know, you take a little child, you set them down, and mama takes the little baby out of the car seat, and they set them down and they look in there and they grab their purse, and all of a sudden, there you shot across the parking lot. Frightening. It's dangerous because cars aren't looking for a two foot person running across and running out in between cars. And so what do you do? You train that child. You spank them. You, you s- severely, i use that word, lose, you know, you deal with them in a way so that when you say stop, they stop for their protection. And it's the same way with a nation. There are boundaries. I had, a, I had actually a uh, discussion one time with some about, uh, you know, red lights. Being, you know, unconstitutional and such. The point, what's the whole point of a red light? To manage and control the intersection from being chaotic and dangerous, right? It's to create order some structure so that traffic can go both ways without anyone getting injured or killed. That's a keeping of the sixth commandment. That's a good thing. And, and civil magistrates have a duty to the sixth commandment just like they have a duty to the first commandment. That's Psalm 2. Now, I know that ruffles feathers in a lot of Christians because they would say, oh, no, 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 sir. It's the second table of the law. The civil magistrate has nothing to do with the first table of the law. The problem with that is I cannot support that idea from Scripture. I'm sorry. I can't. I can't look at Psalm 2 and get that because I'm still trying to figure out why are the kings railing against God if that's okay for them to rail against God? Why is it a problem? Well, it's a problem because God is the only blesser, right? And prosperer of not just people, but of nations. Sin rejects these wise boundaries. Hebrews chapter 12 verses 5 and 6 talks about the discipline of God. And it talks about how God disciplines those whom he loves. And that's why nations have to have punishment. Why? Because we have responsibilities as citizens. And when we break those responsibilities, when we violate those responsibilities, there are punishments. we all are witnessing what it looks like when a nation is lawless and without responsibilities right i mean we we see the interviews that with security guards in stores that are told stop no one from stealing stop no one let them loot the store do nothing, don't do your job, do nothing to stop them. And those who have tried to stop them are fired. This is the railing against God's order. And I can tell you, for those participating in that activity, they're destroying themselves, and we're gonna talk about that in just a second. They are destroying themselves because they think they've gotten away with something, but they haven't. They are only adding to, because it's like this, where man ceases to be just and reasonable and righteous, God will pick that up and do it himself. And and that's not where you want to be. That's not where you want to be. A third, another third thing about this contradiction, if you will, is that a nation that is in plotting and railing against God represents this, just the height of ingratitude after the one who graciously created everything and not just created, listen, he didn't just create everything, it's great. Look how good the world is. Look how awesome uh, men and women are. I mean, uh, all the things that you enjoy in life, has it not come from God's hand? It's the height of ingratitude. In fact, any nation that rails against God and plots a vain thing, it's it's, it's just like, it's, it's slapping the hand of God. It's slapping the hand of God. Look at Colossians 117. Look at 16. For by him all things were created both into heavens and on earth, Visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. I mean, you could add arrogance because... I'm sure there are a pile of people in these state legislators, uh, legislatures and senates and even the National Congress and whatnot pat themselves on the back every morning when they get up and they look at their face in their bathroom mirror about how much they have done for the American people. The height of arrogance. Second word that I want to give you is Irrational. It's irrational. It's delusional. Thinking that we can rebel against God without consequence is irrational. To think that you can rebel against God's justice and righteousness. That is, what is this righteousness? Well, the things you ought to do, the right things you ought to do. Love your neighbor as yourself. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. It's irrational to think that you cannot do that and it go well with you. Even on a national level, what happens when a nation calls good evil and evil good? I say irrational, isn't it? Those are irra- that's an irrational connection of things. Good is not evil. It's not good to be evil. And evil can never be good. It's irrational to think that as a a dependent creature created by God for dependence upon him, that you can live independently of him. That's irrational. You say, oh man, we can grow our own food. Well, first of all, my Bible tells me that it's God that blesses the crops of even the righteous and the unrighteous. I mean, look, you know what would happen if God were to send a famine, send a, 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 a plague, right? A plague and kill every bird, every fowl, every chicken, every turkey, every, every meat bird in this country. You know how it, it, it would, it, we would implode and it could happen just like that. God could bring us to our knees so fast. I mean, within a, within a, a day, we would be. It, it's like what I it's like, remember you saw, remember in Desert Storm? Remember after 9 11? You couldn't drive down the road without seeing signs on Wendy's and Burger King and McDonald. God have mercy on us. Pray for God's help. I mean, they were everywhere. Now they're nowhere. So we don't need them anymore. Again, it's short-sighted for human perspectives to think that they are wiser than an all-knowing God. <laughs> they know better than God. Proverbs three verses five through seven. Lean not into your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge Him. When's the last time we heard a ruler ask, "Well, what's the Lord's will in this? What's the people's will?" Because we got to work on our re-election. You know, I can't really help you unless you re-elect me. I mean, that's this. I'm. I can fix politics. I think we move everybody's salary to $35,000 a year. And no, no, look, no investments, no nothing, no bonuses, no extra committee work bonuses, nothing. There's $35,000 a year uh, and no benefits. It's time for them to be like the rest of the American people. No benefits. And you wouldn't have half the people running for office They'd go find them other things to do because it's the fact the number one way to gain wealth in this country is to become a politician. The third word is self destructive. It's self destructive to rail against God, it's destructive for the person, it's destructive for the nation. When people are allowed to run amok without accountability, without true consequences, it is self-destructive to the nation itself. I mean, look what you're doing to the next generation. You're teaching them that it's okay to live like this and to do these things and to treat people like dirt because they disagree with you or because they don't think like you think. Without a doubt, we have we do not value human life in this country, in this world anymore. That's why we're watching people just walk up to people on the sidewalk and shoot them dead. There's no value to it anymore. We're just animals. We're just bags of plasma. And at least that's what they've been told. A self-destructive nation will be a nation depressed and insatiable. And we are depressed. What do you think the number one prescriptive drug is? Antidepressants. That's the number one drug. And we can't get enough of anything. We are insatiable. We don't just want it now, we want all of it. And it's self destructive. Rejecting God's design leads to damaged relationships, broken institutions, judicial, political, um, and personal ruin. That's Genesis 6, 5 through 7. We see the flood in that text. Railing against God. And plotting a vain brothers and sisters, it's not just futility, but tr- futility that leads to meaningless and emptiness. And that's where everybody is. What if people aren't marrying? Because they don't have hope. Remember when you had hope? You're like, man, I want can't wait to find a wife. I can't wait to have children. I can't wait to see them grow up. I can't wait to have grandchildren. I can't wait to accomplish some things in my career, my personal life, and professional life. I mean, why you have hope in the future. But you can't, I mean, to, when you are self-destructive, you're robbing yourself of hope as well as robbing your children and grandchildren of hope. Well, you're not even having children. I mean, there are so many people today who say, oh, why would I want to bring children into this world? And these are professing Christians. These are professing Christians that have become hopeless. Why? Because we're saying, we're watching Psalm 2 play out before our very eyes, aren't we? So brothers and sisters, how do we combat this? We accept God's order. We accept God's natural order. We embrace it. We love it. We promote it. We take every opportunity to set it against the futility of this world. We don't stop talking. We don't stop, you know, comparing. We don't. We don't get involved in the delusions of others. We we don't partake in these broken systems if you will. We have to stand up and say this is the problem. You keep railing against God, you're plotting a vain thing, and you're suffering the consequences and you refuse to humble yourself and repent. You refuse to bow a knee to Jesus. you refuse to kiss his cheek. That's the problem. What are you saying, pastor, or you just want us all to be religious? That's exactly what I'm saying. You've gotta be religious. It's foolish not to be religious. It's a foolish thing to claim to be an atheist in a world that God made, created, and sustains. That's foolishness. It is cartoonish to think you can be autonomous in this world that God made, and made you for himself. May the Lord show us the prosperous way and help us. I mean, we may have some statesmen in here. We may have some future statesmen. But this is the path. The path is to repent of railing and plotting a vain thing against the Lord and against his anointed. Let's pray together. Father, throughout history we can see nations rise and nations fall. And all of these nations that have fallen have this in common. They stopped recognizing you as sovereign. They stopped recognizing your moral order. They stopped understanding the importance of the family. They stopped understanding the differences between male and female. They stopped understanding the importance and the the need for righteousness and justice and responsibility. And they chose their own way. And many of those nations no longer exist. The scriptures are full of it, those nations. And nations have, Lord, come and gone. And ours may be one of those soon to go by the way. But Lord, at the same time, we pray that you would give Christians this biblical worldview that you are sovereign, that you are the blesser. You're the one that prospers nations. You bless kings. You bless the kings of the earth. And so, Father, I pray that you would give us a courage, a, a bravery, a boldness to speak the truth, to speak it loudly and, Lord, concisely. And let us not be fooled. This this world doesn't just have an economic problem. Ah, this world, uh, our nation just doesn't have a leadership problem. It's got a religious problem. Lord, we are atheists at heart. We are rebels. We are conspirators, and we are a treasonous nation against the cosmic sovereign Lord of the universe and his son, Jesus Christ. Have mercy upon us, O Lord. Rise, rise up, O Lord, and come and rescue your church. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.